0: Babbel.com. Language for life. Why Babbel? When you want to learn new, a new language, you want to be able to actually use it with real people in the real world. Every part of Babbel is designed with that goal in mind. Designed by pros. Lessons with realistic scenarios designed by over a 100 linguists. Use what you learn. Interactive dialogues that get you speaking confidently. Learn on any device. Compatibility with most devices with lessons that are only 10 to 15 minutes long. Remember everything. Reviews that bring back everything you've learned. Number one, installing language learning app. Download the app today and start learning language for your everyday life from the App Store or Google Play. Choose how you learn. To start with, Babbel. Choose your plan that works best for you. Babel app subscription get unlimited access to hundreds of award winning lessons designed for all learners based on level and time commitment. Bible Babel live subscription. You'll have access to live virtual classes taught by top language teachers, available at a variety of days, times, and levels, plus access to all Babel online lessons. People love Babel, thousands of five star reviews, publications love Babbel. The Wall Street Journal, Business Insider, CNN, Forbes, the New York Times, the Washington Post, USA Today, and CNET. You can choose from the following languages. Spanish, French, German, Italian, Russian, Portuguese, Turkish, Dutch, Swedish, Polish, Norwegian, Indonesian, Danish. Over 10 million subscriptions sold. PlushCare.com, healthcare that makes you smile. Virtual primary care and mental health treatment when you need it. Get personalized high-quality health care by taking top U.S. medical doctors all from the ease of your smartphone. Care for you and the ones you love most. High quality. Plush gets highly skilled online doctors are ta- trained at the top 50 U.S. medical schools with an average of 15 years of experience their online doctors give you and your entire family the peace of mind you should expect from your health care provider. Convenient just book an appointment, chat via video on your smartphone and pick up your prescription from your pharmacy. Their advanced technology is integrated with most major insurers, labs and pharmacies. Affordable. Training. talking to an online doctor has never been easier and more affordable for just your copay or 99 per visit. $99 per visit, you can get quality care from one of their highly skilled online doctors. They are in Network with most major insurers in the U.S. and provide care in all 50 states, over 415,000 patients cared for. Good morning. Hope you had a good week. Uh, today is U.S. President Number 37, Richard M. Nixon, Part 3, Domestic Policy, Economy. At the time Nixon took office in 1969, inflation was at 4.7%, its highest rate since the Korean War. The Great Society had been enacted under Johnson, which together with the Vietnam War cost was causing large budget deficits. Unemployment was low, but interest rates were at their highest in a, in a century. Nixon's major economic goal was to reduce inflation. The most obvious means of doing so was to end the war. This could not be accomplished overnight, and the U.S. economy continued to struggle through 1970, contributed to a lackluster Republican performance in the midterm congressional elections. Democrats controlled both houses of Congress throughout Nixon's presidency. According to political economist Nigel Bowles in his 2011 study of Nixon's economic record, the new president did little to alter Johnson's policies through the first year of his presidency. Nixon was far more interested in foreign affairs and domestic policies, but he believed that voters tend to focus on their own financial condition and that economic conditions were a threat to its re-election. As part of his new federalism views, he proposed grants to the states, but these proposals were for the most part lost in the congressional budget process. However, Nixon gained political credit for advocating them. In 1970, Congress had granted the president the power to impose wage and price freezes, though the Democrat, Democratic majority, knowing Nixon had opposed such controls through his, through his Career did not expect Nixon to actually use the authority with inflation unresolved by August 1971 and an election year looming. Nixon convened a summit of his economic advisors at Camp David. He then announced temporary wage and price controls, allowed the dollar to float against other currencies, and ended the convertibility of the dollar into gold. Bowles points out by identifying himself with a policy whose purpose was inflation's defeat, Nixon made it difficult for. Democrat opponents, too, criticized him. His opponents could offer no alternative policy that was either plausible or believable since the one they favored was one they had designed but which the president had appropriated for himself. Nixon's policies dampened inflation through 1972, although their after-effect contributed to inflation during his second term and into the Ford administration. After Nixon won re-election, the inflation was returning. He re-imposed price controls in June 1973. The price controls became unpopular with the public and business people who saw powerful labor unions as preferable to the price board bureaucracy. The controls produced food shortages as meat disappeared from grocery stores and farmers drowned chickens rather than sell them at a loss. Despite the failure to control inflation, controls were slowly ended and on April 30, 1974, the statutory authorization lapsed. Governmental Initiatives and Organization. Nixon advocated a new federal which would devolve power to state and local elected officials, though Congress was hostile to these ideas and enacted few of them. He eliminated the cabinet-level United States Post Office Department, which in 1971 became the government-run United States Postal Service. Nixon was a late supporter of the conversation conservation movement, Environmental policy had not been a significant issue in the 1968 election, and the candidates were rarely asked for their views on the subject. Nixon broke new ground by discussing environmental policy in his State of the Union speech in 1970. He saw that the first Earth Day in April 1970 presaged a wave of voter interest on the subject and sought to use that to his benefit. In June, he announced the Information in the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA. He relied on his domestic advisor, John Erick. Ehrlichman, who favored protection of natural resources to keep him out of trouble on environmental issues. Other initiatives. Other initiatives supported by Nixon included the Clean Air Act of 1970 and the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, and the National Environmental Policy Act requiring environmental impact statements for many federal projects. Nixon vetoed the Clean Water Act of 1972, objecting not to the policy goals of the legislation but to the amount of money to be spent on them, which he deemed excessive. After Congress arose and vetoed, Nixon impounded the, the funds he deemed unjustifiable. In 1971, Nixon proposed health insurance reform, a private health insurance employer mandate, virtualization of Medicaid for poor families with dependent minor children, and support for health maintenance organizations. HMOs. A limited HMO bill was not in 1973, and in 1974, Nixon proposed more comprehensive health insurance reform, a private health insurance employer mandate, and replacement of Medicaid by state-run health insurance plans available to all, with income-based premiums and cost-sharing. Nixon was concerned about the prevalence of domestic drug use in addition to drug use among American soldiers in Vietnam. He called for a war on drugs and pledged to cut out sources of supply abroad. He also increased funds or, for education and for rehabilitation facilities. As one policy initiative, Nixon called for more money for sickle cell research, treatment and education in February 1971 and signed the National Sickle Cell Disease Control Act on May 16, 1972. <coughs> While Nixon called for increased spending on such high level, high profile items as sickle cell disease and for a war on cancer, at the same time he sought to reduce overall spending at the National Institutes of Health. Civil Rights The Nixon presidency witnessed the first large scale integration of public schools in the South. Nixon sought a middle way between the segregated walls and the liberal. Democrats' in support of integration was alienated in some Southern whites. Hopeful of doing well in the South in 1972, he sought to dispose of desegregation as a political issue before then. Soon after his inauguration, he appointed Vice President Agnew to lead a task force which worked with local leaders, both white and black, to determine how to integrate local schools. Agnew had little interest in The work, and most of it, was done by Labor Secretary George Shultz. Federal aid was available, and a meeting with President Nixon was a possible reward for compliant committees. By September 1970, less than 10% of black children were attending segregated schools. By 1971, however, tensions over desegregation surfaced in northern cities with anger protests over the busting of children to schools outside their neighborhood to achieve racial balance. Nixon opposed busting personally, but enforced court orders requiring its use. Some scholars such as James Morton Turner and John Eisenberg believe that Nixon, who had advocated for civil rights in his 1960 campaign, slowed down desegregation as president appealing to the racial conservatism of Southern whites who were angered by the civil rights movement. This he hoped would boost his election chances in 1972. In addition to desegregating public schools, Nixon implemented the Philadelphia Plan in 1970, the first significant federal affirmative action program. He also endorsed the Equal Rights Amendment as it passed both houses of Congress in 1972 and went to the states for ratification. He also pushed for African-American civil rights and economic equity through a concept known as Black Capitalism. Nixon had campaigned as the ERA supporter in 1972. the ERA supporter in 1968, though feminists criticized him for doing little to help the ERA for other cause after his election. Nevertheless, he pointed more women to administration positions than Lyndon Johnson had. Space Policy After a nearly decade-long national effort, the States won the race to land astronauts on the moon on July 20, 1969, with the flight of Apollo 11. Nixon spoke with Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin during their moonwalk he called the conversation, the most historic phone call ever made from the White House. Nixon was unwilling to keep funding for the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA, at the high level seen during the 1960s as NASA prepared to send men to the moon. NASA administration, Administrator Thomas O. Payne drew up ambitious plans for the establishment of a permanent base on the moon by the end of the 1970s and the launch of, the man, of a man-expedition to Mars as early as as nineteen eighty one, Nixon rejected both proposals due to the expense. Nixon also cancelled the Air Force manned orbital laboratory programs with nineteen sixty nine because unmanned spy satellites were a more cost effective way to achieve the same reconnaissance objective. NASA canceled the last three of planned Apollo lunar missions to place Skylab in orbit more efficient and free money up for the design and construction of the space shuttle. On May 24, 1972, Nixon approved the five-year cooperation program between NASA and the Soviet space program, culminating in the 1975 Joint Mission of the American Apollo and Soviet Soyuz aircraft, spacecraft linking in space, re-election, Watergate scandal, and resignation, 1972 presidential campaign, 1972 electoral vote results. Nixon believes his rise to power had speak. Had peaked at a moment of political realignment. The Democratic solid South had long been a source of frustration to Republican ambitions. Goldwater had won several Southern states by opposing the Civil Rights Act of 1964, but it alienated more moderate Southerners. Nixon's efforts to gain Southern support in that state were deluded by Wallace's candidacy. Through his first term, he pursued a Southern strategy with policies such as <coughs> his desegregation plans that would be broadly accessible among Southern whites, encouraging them to realign with the performance in the aftermath of the Civil <coughs> Rights Movement. He nominated two Southern conservatives, Clement Haynesworth and G. Harold Carswell, to the Supreme Court. But neither was confirmed by the Senate. Nixon entered his name on the New Hampshire primary ballot on January 5, 1972, effectively announcing his candidacy for re election. Virtually the Republican nomination, the president had initially expected his Democratic <coughs> opponent to Massachusetts Senator Edward M. Kennedy, brother of the late president who was largely removed from contention after the July 1969 Chappaquiddick incident. Instead, Maine Senator Edmund Muskie became the frontrunner with South Dakota Senator George McGovern in a close second place. On June tenth, McGovern won the California primary and secured the Democratic nomination. The following month, Nixon was renominated at the nineteen thirty two Republican National Convention. He dismissed the Democratic platform as cowardly and divisive. McGovern intended to shuffle the reduced defense spending and supported amnesty for draft evaders as well as abortion rights. With some of his supporters believed to be in favor of drug legalization, McGovern was perceived as standing for amnesty, abortion, and acid. McGovern also, was also damaged by his vacillating support for his... Original running mate, Missouri Senator Thomas Eagleton, dumped from the ticket following revelations that he had received treatment for depression. Nixon was ahead in most polls for the entire election cycle and was re-elected on November (coughs) 7, 1972, and one of the largest landslide election victories in American history. He defeated McGovern with over 60% of the popular vote, losing only in Massachusetts and D.C. Watergate. The term Watergate has come to encompass an array of clandestine and often illegal activities undertaken by members of the Nixon administration. Those activities include dirty tricks such as bugging the office of political opponents and the harassment of activists and political figures. The activities were brought to light after five men were caught breaking into the Democratic Party headquarters at the Watergate Complex in Washington, D.C. on June 17, 1972. The Washington Post picked up on the story reported Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodard relied on an informant known as Deep Throat, later revealed to be Mark Felt, Associate Director to at the FBI to link the men to the Nixon administration. Nixon downplayed the scandal as mere politics, calling news articles biased and misleading. A series of revelations made it clear that the committee to re elect President Nixon and later the White House were involved in attempts to sabotage the Democrats. Senior aides such as White House Counsel John Dean forced prosecution in total. 48 officials were convicted of wrongdoing. In July 1973, White House aide Alexander Butterfield testified under oath to Congress that Nixon had a secret taping system and recorded his conversations and phone calls in the Oval Office. These tapes were subpoenaed by Watergate Special Counsel Archibald Cox. Nixon provided transcripts to, of the conversation but not the actual tapes. Citing executive privilege with the White House and Cox at loggerheads, Nixon had Cox fired in October in the Saturday Night Massacre, he was placed by Leon Jaworski. In November, Nixon's lawyers revealed that a tape of conversations held in the White House on June 20, 1972 had an 18-and-a-half-minute gap. Rosemary Woods, the president's personal secretary, claimed responsibility for the gap, saying that she had accidentally wiped the selection section while transcribing the tape, but her story was widely mocked. The gap, while not conclusive proof of wrongdoing by the president, cast doubt on Nixon's statement that he had been unaware of a cover-up. Though Nixon had, though Nixon lost much popular support, even from his own party, he rejected accusations of wrongdoing and vowed to stay (laughs) and vowed to stay in office. He admitted he had made mistakes, but insisted he had no prior knowledge of the burglary, did not break any laws, and did not learn of the cover-up until early 1973. On October 10, 1973, Vice President Agnew resigned. For reasons unrelated to Watergate, he was convicted a charge of bribery, tax evasion, and money laundering during his tenure as governor of Maryland. Believing his first choice, John Connolly, would not be confirmed by Congress, Nixon chose Gerald Ford, minority leader of the House of Representatives, to replace Agnew. One research suggests Nixon effectively disengaged from his own administration as the Ford was sworn in as vice president on December 6, 1973. November 17, 1973, during the televised question and answer session with former Associated Press managing editors, Nixon said people have got to know whether or not their president is a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. The legal battle over the tapes continued through early 1974, and in April, night, Nixon announced the Release of 1,200 pages of transcripts of White House conversations between himself and his aides, the House Judiciary Committee opened impeachment hearings against the President on May 9, 1974, which were televised on the major TV networks. These hearings culminated in votes for impeachment. On July 24, the Supreme Court ruled in unanimously that the full tapes, not just selected, must be released. The scandal grew to evolve a slew of additional allegations against the president, ranging from the improper use of government issues to accepting gifts in office and his personal finance and taxes. Nixon repeatedly stated his willingness to pay out, to pay any outstanding taxes due and later paid $465,000, to $2.4 million in 2019, and back taxes in 1974 even with support diminished by the continued series of revelations, Nixon hoped to fight the charges, but one of the new tapes recorded soon after the break in demonstrates that Nixon had been told of the White House connection to the Watergate burglars soon after they took place and had approved plans to thwart the investigation in a statement accompanying the release of what became known as a smoking gun tape. On August fifth, 1974, Nixon accepted blame for misleading the country about what he had been told of White House involvement, stating that he had had a lapse of memory. Senate Minority Leader Hugh Scott, Senator Barry Goldwater, and House Minority Leader John Jacob Rhodes met with Nixon soon after. Rhodes told Nixon he faced certain impeachment in the White House. In the House, Scott and McGovern told the President that he had at most only 15 votes in favor. In the Senate, far fewer than 34 needed to avoid removal from the office. Resignation. In light of his loss of political support and the near certainty that he would be impeached and removed from office, Nixon resigned. The president on August, 9th, on August 9th, 1974, after addressing the nation on television the previous evening. The resignation speech was delivered from the Oval Office that was carried live on radio and television. Nixon said he resigned for the good of the country and asked the nation to support the new president, Joe Ford. Nixon went on to review the accomplishments of his presidency, especially in foreign policy. He defended his record as president, quoting the Theodore Roosevelt's 1910 speech citizen in a, in a a Republic, sometimes I have succeeded and sometimes I have failed, but always I have taken heart from what Theodore Rose once said about the man in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who, who errs and comes up short again and again because there is no not effort without error and shortcut, but who does actually strive to do the deed, who knows the Great enthusiasts, the great devotions, who spends spend himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the, in the end the triumphs of high achievements, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. Nixon's speech received generally favorable initial responses from network commentators with only Roger Mudd of CBS stating that Nixon had not admitted Wrongdoing, it was turned a masterpiece by Conrad Black. One of his biographers, Black opined that what was intended to be an impressive humiliation for any American president, Nixon converted to a virtual parliamentary acknowledgement of almost planless insufficiency of legislative support to continue. He left while devoting half his address to a recitation of his accomplishments in office. Post-president, 1974-1994, pardon and illness following the, his resignation. The Nixons flew to their home in La, La Casa Pacific in San Clemente, California. According to his biographer, Jonathan Aitken, Nixon was a soul in torment. After his resignation, Congress had funded Nixon's transition costs, including some salary expenses, though reducing the appropriation from 850000 to 200000 with some of his staff still with him. Nixon was at his desk by 7 a.m., with little to do, his former press secretary, Ron Ziegler sat with him alone for hours each day. Nixon's resignation had not put an end to the desire of I many to see him punish. The Ford White House considered a pardon of Nixon, <coughs> even though it would be unpopular in the country, Nixon contacted when Ford and Mr. was initially reluctant to accept a pardon, but then agreed to do so, Ford insisted on a statement of contrition. But Nixon felt he had not committed any crimes and should not have to issue such a document. Ford eventually agreed, and on September 8, 1974, he granted Nixon a full, par- a full, freed and absolute pardon, which ended any possibility of indictment. Nixon then released a the statement: "I was wrong in not acting more decisively and more forthrightly in dealing with Watergate." particularly when it reached the stage of judicial proceedings and grew from a political scandal into a national tragedy. No words can describe the depth of my regret and pain as the anguish my six over Watergate have caused the nation and the president and nation that I so deeply love and an institution I so greatly respect. In October 1974, Nixon fell ill with it phlebitis, told by doctors that he could either be operated on or die, that chose surgery uh, and President Ford visited him in the hospital. Nixon was under subpoena for the trial of three of his former aides, Dean Haldeman and John Ehrlichman, in the Washington Post. Disbelieving his illness printed a cartoon showing Nixon with a cast on the wrong foot. John Judge Sarika excused Nixon's presence despite the defendant's objections and Congress instructed Ford to retain Nixon's presidential papers banning a three-decade bat- legal battle over the documents that was eventually won by the former president of the state. Nixon was in the hospital when the 1970 midterm elections were held and Watergate and the party were contributing factors to the Republican loss of 43 seats in the ha- House and three in the Senate. Return to public life. In December 1974, Nixon began planning his comeback despite the ill will against him in the country, he wrote in his diary, referring to himself and Pat, so be it, well, we will see it through. We've had tough times before and we can take the tougher ones that will that we will have to go through now. That is perhaps that what we were made for to be able to take punishments beyond what anyone in this, in this office has had before, particularly after leaving office. This is a test of character and we must not fail the test. <sighs> By early night Sunday, Nixon's health was improving. He maintained an office in the, co- in the Coast Guard station 300 yards from his home, at first taking a golf course and later walking the route each day. He mainly worked on his memoirs. He had hoped to wait before writing his memoirs, and the fact that his assets were being eaten away by expenses and lower fees compelled him to begin working quickly. He was handicapped. In this work, by the end of his transition allowance in February, which compelled him to, take, to part with many of his staff, including Ziegler, in August of that year, he met with British talk show host and producer David Frost, who paid him $600,000 to, to $2.9 million in, 19, in 2019 for a series of sit-down interviews filmed and aired in 1977. They began on the topic of foreign policy, recasting the latest he had known, but the most remembered section of the interviews was that on Watergate, Nixon admitted he had let down the country and it, that he, I brought myself down. I gave them a, a sword and they stuck it in and they twisted it with relish and I guess if I had been in their business I'd have done the same thing. The interviews garnered 45 to 50 million viewers, becoming the most watched program of its kind in television history. The interviews helped, prove, helped improve Nixon's financial position and at one point in early 1975, he had only $500 in the bank as did the sale of his key Biscayne property to a trust set up by wealthy Nixon friends such as B.B. Rebozo. In February 1976, Nixon visited China at the personal invitation of Mao. Nixon had wanted to return to China but chose to wait until after Ford, Ford's own visit in 1975. Nixon remained neutral in the close of the primary battle between Ford and Reagan. Ford won but was defeated by Georgia Governor Jimmy Carter in the general election. The Carter administration had little use for Nixon and blocked his planned trip to Australia, causing the government of Prime Minister Malcolm Fraser to withhold its official invitation. In 1976, Nixon was disbarred by the New York State Bar Association for Obstruction of Justice in the Watergate Affair. Nixon chose not to present any evidence in early-night Nixon. Nixon went to the United Kingdom. He was shamed by American diplomats and by most ministers of the James Callahan government. He was welcomed, however, by the leader of the opposition, Margaret Thatcher, as well as by former Prime Ministers Lord Holm and Sir Harold Wilson. Two other former minister, Prime Ministers, Harold Macmillan and Edward Heath, declined to meet him. Nixon addressed the Oxford Union regarding Watergate. Some say I, I did ha- I didn't handle it properly and they're right, I screwed it up, may culpa, but let's get on my to my achievements. You'll be here in the year two thousand and we'll see how I'm regarded then. Stay tuned for part four of US President number thirty seven, Richard M. Nixon.